Welcome to Macquarie Street, the national political podcast coming to you from the crucible of Australian democracy. Here's your host, Lyle Shelton. You need to remember what you were trying to say as well. You were trying to defend the innocence of childhood. Yep. I mean, that's you don't really need to have a legal defence to, to say those sort of things, or should you? Or Well, you shouldn't have to, Fred. And, um, you know, I think if, if only the public knew what was going on uh, and what... Uh, what the consequences uh, have been of redefining marriage. Uh, you know, pe- people were told in 2017 during the marriage plebiscite, love is love, it only affects um, you know, the, the, the loving couple. But the consequences have been far-reaching. It's, it's weaponised these anti-discrimination laws. Uh, it's uh, almost destroyed women's sport. And we're seeing our children being indoctrinated into radical LGBTIQA plus gender-fluid ideology. More of my interview with Fred Paul on ADH TV later in the program. You won't want to miss us unpacking my drag queen free speech legal case and the consequences of the same-sex marriage vote. Hello and welcome to the Macquarie Street Political Podcast. I'm Lyle Shelton. I'm coming to you from Melbourne where I'll be based for the next three months in the lead up to the November 26 Victorian election. The Daniel Andrews government is by far the most anti-freedom, anti-family government in Australia's history. Family First is determined to field quality candidates who will challenge him with positive, alternative policies that promote life, family, freedom and faith. Now, coming up on today's show, we'll look at the cost of living crisis, three big attacks on religious freedom in just one week, and I'll bring you the rest of my discussion with Fred Paul on Australian Digital Holdings TV. You won't want to miss it, so please don't touch that dial. Now, concerns continue to be raised in the medical community that some children questioning their gender are being encouraged to transition too early, before they've been properly assessed. Last month, England's National Health Service announced it was closing the UK's only gender clinic, Tavistock, after a review found doctors felt pressured to adopt an unquestioning approach to children confused about their gender identity. It's an issue that's reared its head here too, as The Weekend Australian reported a 26-year-old man who transitioned to a woman and then back again has been left infertile from the effects of oestrogen on his body. Ollie Davies told the paper, Everyone I knew put trans people on a pedestal. It was fashionable. I knew it would be celebrated and promoted. At first it was euphoric. I felt like coming out as trans was my coming home and the key to everything that was wrong in my life. And in a separate case, the Sydney Morning Herald reports today a Sydney woman is suing her psychiatrist for professional negligence after having her breasts and womb removed at the age of 22. After years of ignoring warnings of the harms of LGBTIQA plus gender fluid ideology, the woke left nine newspapers have finally allowed a victim to speak. It's heart-rending reading. The Sydney Morning Herald and the Melbourne Age, The Age on page one, last week featured the sad story of a woman who had her breasts surgically removed at the age of 21 and her womb removed at 22. Sydney woman Jay Langadinas was 19 when she thought she might be a man trapped in a woman's body. She is now suing her psychiatrist, Dr Patrick Tui, in the New South Wales Supreme Court. Langadinas claims Tui failed to take precautions to avoid risk of harm in the nature of the loss of her breast, uterus, fallopian tubes and ovaries. The irony of this story appearing in the Melbourne age is that Victorian politicians from both Labor and Liberal 
have made it illegal for a psychiatrist to urge someone like Langardinus not to undertake so-called gender transition. Premier Daniel Andrews' Change or Suppression Conversion Practices Prohibition Act criminalises anyone who tries to change or suppress someone's gender identity. The government's Human Rights Commission website warns people like Langadinas that no one is allowed to help them even if you ask for help. Even a cry for help from a child to his or her parents must be ignored or the parent could be thrown in jail. This is not conspiracy, it's not hyperbole, it's the law in Victoria. That's why it was remarkable that The Age published Langadinas's story. After years of championing rainbow ideology, including the law which would make it illegal for a counsellor to try and talk someone like Langadinas out of having her female anatomy cut out, The Age is yet to join the dots. The snake is swallowing its tail. As mentioned, Langadinas' story was also published in the City Morning Herald, where the gay activist politician Alex Greenwich has signalled that he wants to introduce laws mimicking Victoria's so-called conversion therapy ban. Let's hope this case makes him think again. Now, Anna Kerr of the Feminist Legal Clinic of New South Wales referred Langadina's case to the legal firm Slater and Gordon. Kerr believes that legal action is likely to be the tip of the iceberg. We can expect to see extensive litigation in future years related to gender-affirming cross-sex hormones and surgeries, Kerr said. Now, this show is not just about bringing you news, it's about action. Please help keep kids safe from rainbow ideology. Sign Family First petition to call on the Albanese government to close the gender clinics. The website is on your screen. Take action now. Thank you. Now, many of you have asked about the legal case brought against me by two LGBTIQA plus drag queens. I'm being sued for saying that drag queens reading to little children are dangerous role models. I had the privilege of speaking about the case with Fred Paul on the new online television station Australian Digital Holdings, which is anchored by the great broadcaster Alan Jones. Fred and I spoke about my upcoming trial in the Queensland Civil and Administrative Tribunal, as well as the same-sex marriage plebiscite in 2017, which weaponised anti-free speech laws. There is a popular saying among centre-right people, just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. Sadly though, our legal system doesn't subscribe to this type of old-fashioned common sense. Being offended is now legally recognised, and anybody who causes offence can be charged with having committed an offence. It's no surprise that the people who seek remedy through these laws all come from the same identity groups, the type of groups that demand respect for their life choices because to not do so is bigoted, at least according to the zeitgeist. Conservatives and Christians never bother suing those who offend or insult them for two reasons. They aren't that easily offended and the judiciary wouldn't care anyway. The explicit purpose of laws prohibiting offensive language is not, not to protect everybody equally, which is what laws in a proper liberal society are meant to do, but to protect those identity groups who claim to be oppressed by the wider culture. As such, they are also designed to teach the bigoted mobs how to behave. The granddaddy of these legislative acts is Section 18C of the Racial Discrimination Act, which was passed by federal parliament in 1994. It had been drawn up by Labor Attorney General Michael Lavarch, who said at the time, quote, legislation can have a powerful 
educative role in promoting tolerance within the community, unquote. Get that? This type of law isn't only meant to prevent an entirely new type of crime, it's to educate the community how to behave. We should have seen where this would lead. Victimhood has since acquired a new status and a generation of bureaucrats has emerged to defend victims against those whose values, quite rightly, don't comply with the type of morality promoted by this new legislation. One of the worst examples so far was cartoonist Bill Leake, who was hounded to the grave by the Australian Human Rights Commission over a cartoon in which he depicted one of the main causes of Indigenous disadvantage. That Bill's opinions were honestly held and fair didn't matter to the Human Rights Commission. He had defied the new orthodoxy and needed to be punished. My next guest is Christian campaigner and defender of human rights, Lyle Shelton, who is currently going through a similar situation. Lyle, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, uh, Fred. Firstly, let's start with your background. As the leader of the Australian Christian Lobby from, from 2013 to 2018, you were a prominent opponent of gay marriage at the time of the national plebiscite in 2017. Why did you oppose this plebiscite? Well, we were concerned, uh, Fred, that if you redefined marriage in law, that would then trigger all these uh, 18C type provisions, uh, like you mentioned from the Federal uh, Racial Discrimination Act. Uh, in our state-based regime of anti-discrimination laws down at state level, there's 18C type provisions, which uh, then become weaponized uh, against people who have a different view of, of marriage. So we were concerned about freedom of speech and freedom of religion being impacted. We're also very concerned that redefining marriage would lead to um, the, uh, the teaching and indoctrination of children to radical uh, gender fluid ideology at school. And of course, we've seen that happen on steroids and we've now seen the, the women's sport thing. So there's been a whole lot of knock-on consequences that we could foresee and that's why we campaigned so hard. <laughs> I'm guessing that being Christian, you conducted your side of this debate with, with a, a certain level of civility. What, how did the other side of the debate respond to you at the time? Yeah, it was very difficult, uh, Fred. Um, we were called bigots, we were called homophobes, and you know they, they didn't even um, give us any credit for the fact that we'd supported the removal of all discrimination uh, in, in Commonwealth law. Some 80 uh, or so laws were changed with our support to take away discrimination against same-sex couples, but they wanted that word marriage. And so we were um, subject to all sorts of vile abuse. We had venues that we were seeking to hire, um, subject to attack. Uh, my office was bombed, firebombed, uh, a few days before Christmas in 2016, and the Australian Federal Police said nothing to see here. It was covered up. Uh, it was later found out to be a same-sex marriage activist uh, committed the bombing. Uh, and our, uh, our names, my name as a director of Australian Christian Lobby and my fellow directors were placed on the internet by a same-sex marriage activist after the bombing, which, which certainly you know, put us and our families in danger. So the tactics used were terrible. Uh, it was a very um, difficult period, but we felt it was important to stand up uh, for our freedoms uh, during this campaign. So let's fast forward to the year 2020. Two drag queens appear at the Brisbane City Library to perform for children. What happened next? Yeah, I was living in Brisbane at the time and uh, I noticed uh, this protest uh, appeared online. So a group of uh, student activists led by a very brave uh, young LNP member by the name of Wilson Gavin. Uh, I recognised one of the other uh, people in the protest and, and they were just peacefully uh, chanting drag queens 
are not for kids. And I thought, gee, these, these kids, these young people, these young student uh, protesters are, are very brave because obviously gender fluid uh, drag queens and, and people who promote the, uh, the sex trade uh, shouldn't be presented before children in a public library. And uh, sadly, uh, Wilson Gavin uh, was subject to a, a vicious backlash on social media and sadly took his life uh, a day or two later. So I decided to write a blog about this uh, and uh, the essence of the blog was that uh, these drag queens were not for kids, they were dangerous role models for children. And uh, a few months later, I received a letter from the Queensland Human Rights Commission uh, compelling me to go to mediation with the drag queens. Okay, we'll get back to the uh, Human Rights Commission in a minute, but did the tragic death of Wilson Gavin have any effect on the debate? Did it, did it lower the heat of the confrontation at all? Well, I, th I think it probably did initially, Fred, but it, it didn't um, you know, stop uh, the uh, desire to then go after me for writing uh, my blog. And uh, I wanted to expose in the blog uh, what I'd found out about the two drag queens that were uh, placed in front of very little children. Uh, you know, one was uh, uh, a, a, a woman presenting as a man who on, on, his, uh, on her <laughs> social media page was crowdfunding to have a double mastectomy so she could present as, as a man. The other was parading his adult entertainment uh, X award. Uh, so these are the sort of role models that Brisbane City Council allowed to be placed in front of children. And I just felt that the public needed to know. Uh, I had a blog which had a bit of a following, so I wrote this up and uh, that got me into trouble with the law. So the Queensland Human Rights Commission got involved. How did that happen? It happened by, well, I noticed that one of the drag queens started um, uh, reaching out to me on Twitter, tweeting that I was in trouble with the law. I just ignored that. Uh, but then a few weeks later, a letter arrived in the mail, which um, compelled me, summonsed me to go to a mediation. And if I didn't go, uh, I would be fined. So I had no choice. Uh, so I went along to this mediation. It was during COVID, so it was held over the phone. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not allowed to say what happened there because they, it's all secret squirrel stuff by, by law. Uh, but needless to say, um, the mediation uh, failed uh, because I wasn't going to back down. I wasn't going to um, apologise or take down my blog. I was respectful and I, and I still want to be respectful. I don't agree with these drag queens and what they represent and what they're trying to indoctrinate children into. Uh, but um, I, I, there's no way I'm going to resile from, from what I said in my exercise of free speech. So that they escalated it to the Queensland Civil and Administrative Tribunal, which is a quasi court. And uh, we've been locked in litigation for about two years um, and have finally been given a trial date. So it went from the uh, 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 mediation meeting under the auspices of the commission to the courts. Did it ever occur to anybody on the other side of this case, especially the Human Rights Commission, that you also have human rights to free speech and free thought? No, that's not part of the equation. Um, they've demanded that uh, I apologise. They've demanded that I remove my blogs from the internet. And they've also demanded $20,000. Um, and uh, I've said no to those uh, because I think free speech is too important. So where's the case now? How much has it cost you so far? And how far do you intend to take it? Well, so um, the, the latest development uh, in recent weeks is that there was a directions hearing in QCAT and a trial date has been set for me for November 28 to uh, 30. So it's a three day trial in the, uh, in the tribunal. Um, the case has so far cost um, in excess of $100,000 uh, because it's dragged on over two years. We, we know with these, uh, so-called human rights bodies, that the process 
is the punishment, um, and that's designed to try and you know create this chilling effect where people just back off. I've been very fortunate, Fred, that um, uh, people have been generous in their crowdfunding support of me. Um, if I didn't have a bit of a public profile, uh, I think I would have had to have folded my tent, folded my tent. But uh, I've been fortunate to have public support, so I can fight this on. And um, we intend to fight this all the way. Um, I, uh, if I lose the trial in November, we will certainly appeal. Uh, I will not be backing down. I don't want to sound like some sort of um, martyr or anything like that, but I just think um, this should never have to happen to anyone in Australia. It shouldn't have had to happen to Bill Leake, shouldn't have, have, have it to happen to the QUT students or Drew Pavlov. Um, we've got to fight for freedom of speech in this country, and unfortunately our politicians don't have the courage to amend these laws that are like 18C uh, down at the state level, at the federal level. They've got to be changed so that freedom of speech is restored to this nation so we don't have these nonsense um, legal stouches that cost lots of money and cause people uh, grief and heartache. You need to remember what you were trying to say as well. You were trying to defend the innocence of childhood. Yeah. I mean, that's you don't really need to have a legal defence to, to say those sort of things, or should you? Or Well, you shouldn't have to, Fred. And, um, you know, I think if, if only the public knew what was going on uh, and what uh, what the consequences uh, have been of redefining marriage. Uh, you know, pe people were told in 2017 during the marriage plebiscite, love is love, it only affects um, you know, the, the, the loving couple. But the consequences have been far-reaching. It's, it's weaponised these anti-discrimination laws. Uh, it's uh, almost destroyed women's sport. And we're seeing our children being indoctrinated into radical LGBTIQA plus gender-fluid ideology. This is where we've got to as a result of giving into identity politics back in 2017 and all these consequences were carefully hidden when we raised them in the in the years leading up to the plebiscite we were ridiculed by the gay activists like uh, Christine Foster Tony Abbott's sister who said that Christian schools would never be affected and, and of course they have they've been doing nothing but going after Christian schools ever since to try and stop them from um, teaching uh, the truth about marriage and gender so we've unleashed a whirlwind here and freedom of speech is one of the big casualties that we're seeing because of the weaponization of the human rights commissions and these kangaroo courts. Do you think the people who voted in favor during that plebiscite uh, envisaged that it would one day lead to this? No, I don't, th don't think they did. Um, we tried very hard our campaign. Um, I was involved with the Coalition for Marriage at the time, uh, we tried to tell people this is a referendum on freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and what your children will be taught in school. Um, but uh, we were outgunned uh, by uh, uh, an activist class that had the corporate, woke corporates behind them. It had uh, big tech, it had the media, had the ABC. And so um, despite our best efforts, we were un unable to get uh, that message through. But everything that we said would happen uh, has happened uh, much quicker than we thought. And just before you go, Lyle, uh, just to broaden our, our perspective here, for years, even people on the centre-right of politics have subscribed to the ultra-liberal view of the world. You do you, man, as long as you're not causing me harm, then everything's cool. Is this a viable long-term strategy for a culture? I mean, do, can, it, can a liberal culture survive without some element of, for example, Christian principles? No, no, it can't, Fred. And, you know, we're seeing this play out with, with uh, cases like mine where, you know, we've, we've set up a clash of freedoms in our society because, you know, OK, everyone's free to do whatever they like. But then we've got to decide, well, is it right for um, gender fluid drag queens who promote the sex industry uh, to 
you know, be in front of children. Well, you know, a, a Christian or a Judeo-Christian ethic would say, no, um, we understand from history and tradition and from our, our values that have been passed on through the generations that you protect the innocence of childhood. Uh, it's only in this mad moment uh, in the 21st century where we're departing from this. And I think, you know, history has shown us the American experiment show, um, was set up in, in democracy based on the fact that virtue is what has to be at the basis of of this experiment in democracy. And of course, Australia borrowed the best from the American system. Um, you can't have democracy and freedom without virtue underpinning it. Because freedom isn't freedom to do whatever I like. Freedom is to do what I ought to do. And that's how we have true freedom. And uh, sadly, we've lost sight of this in this liberal experiment that we've embarked on. Well, from attacks on freedom of speech to attacks on freedom of religion. Remember when same-sex marriage activists said no one else's freedoms would be impacted if two people who love each other could get married? Anyone with half an eye on the public policy debate over the past five years knows this was one of the biggest lies ever perpetrated on Australians. Since the law changed in 2017, the attacks on freedom of speech have been relentless. But here's what happened in just the past week. One, a Catholic school in Melbourne has come under fire for declining to screen a student-produced film featuring a lesbian kiss. Two, the Anglican Church has been dragged before the New South Wales Anti-Discrimination Board. Uh, because it believes what Christians have always believed about marriage. Three, the Western Australian Law Reform Commission has recommended to the government that religious schools be stripped of their freedom to uphold the timeless definitions of marriage and gender in their school communities. There's probably, been, there's probably never been a more intolerant and deceptive political movement than the one that flies under the rainbow flag. It lied during the 2017 marriage plebiscite to win over voters and then set about dismantling the very freedoms it said would be unaffected. Tony Abbott's sister, Christine Foster, a leader of the Yes campaign in the plebiscite, went on Sky News and said religious schools would not lose their freedoms. Politicians remain paralysed like rabbits in the glare of rainbow headlights and do nothing to protect freedom of speech and freedom of religion from this onslaught. The rainbow activists run relent the relentless lie that religious schools and communities are bigoted and not inclusive because they wish to stick simply to their beliefs. Now, I don't believe, I don't expect to get a job at Daniel Andrews taxpayer-funded Pride Centre in St Kilda and I'm okay with that. Why should people who disagree with the basics of religious teaching on marriage and gender be allowed to force school communities, churches and mosques to bend to their ideas. Why should a Catholic school be forced to screen a film celebrating lesbianism? That would be akin to forcing the Pride Centre to screen Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. Tolerance is a one-way street for the hypocritical rainbow political movement. Having won a campaign to change the marriage law, it is not enough for the activists to live and let live. Conspicuously, they relentlessly attack Christian communities, but where are the two gay guys taking the local mosque to the Anti-Discrimination Commission? These taxpayer-funded human rights commissions, which have been weaponised since the marriage law changed, do not exist to uphold the basic human rights of freedom of religion and freedom of speech or freedom of association. The timeless teaching of Orthodox Christians across denominations is that marriage is between one man and one woman and that gender is binary as we see in biology. A pluralist and tolerant society would make room for different expressions and ideas to have a place in society and public debate.
but now everyone must conform and celebrate the rainbow gender fluid ideology or else. Politicians from Liberal and Labor have vacated the field when it comes to defending this freedom and that is why Family First has been rebirthed. Australians who wish to be free and tolerant are not represented by the political quad of Liberals, Labor, Greens or Teals who run Australia and who are all in with LGBTIQ rainbow ideology. Activists relentlessly march around the nation's parliament demanding law reforms to extinguish diverse views on marriage and gender. If rainbow parents, teachers and students want an outlet for their ideology, there are plenty, including publicly funded pride centres. Why must their activists use the law to cause churches, schools and mosques to conform to their way of life? Australian Association of Christian Schools Executive Officer Vanessa Cheng said it well. She said the proposed change in WA, which incidentally has already come to Victoria and is coming to the ACT, would make it difficult for religious schools to employ staff and preference families in enrolment who share the beliefs of the school. The Christian school model requires that all staff, from the principal to the music teacher, share and practice the faith of the school community, she said. We believe this provides the best holistic learning environment for our students. Parents who choose to enrol their children in our schools want an education based on Christian values, which the state school system can no longer provide. And these changes are trying to squeeze faith out of our schools too. Surely it is not for the government to determine how a Christian school should be a Christian school. Well said, Vanessa. But this is what the woke rainbow left demands of governments everywhere. RIP, freedom, diversity and tolerance. No, it's easy to feel dejected and defeated. It's easy to stay quiet and not rock the boat. But that's not what is required of us right now. The mere act of speaking up, of saying what you think is enough enough is enough to push back you can do something positive you can have an effect you can help defeat the powers that seek our silence join a political party join family first donate your time or your money support people groups and companies that stand up against the woke madness these are all positive actions you can take today you can pray and you can fast for the defeat of these powers you can also join the fight there is an alternative to getting washed up and washed away by the tide. Now, government policy driven by the idea of climate catastrophism has turned off cheap energy, sending gas and electricity prices through the roof. It's a major driver of inflation that is devaluing wages and crippling family budgets. In a portent of what may be coming our way, Bloomberg reports that 20 million Americans have fallen behind in their utility bills and face shutoffs. That's one in six homes. This is approaching third world standards of default. It's clear that Australia is not far behind with a survey this week showing one in five people had their card declined at the supermarket as cost of living continues to bite. Australia faces a gas and electricity shortage despite superabundant reserves of low emissions, natural gas, clean coal by world standards and oodles of zero emissions uranium. Despite government promises that renewables would reduce costs, electricity prices are forecast to rise from between $61 per year and $369 a year across Victoria, Queensland and New South Wales. The Australian newspaper commented recently on the Institute for Public Affairs modelling uh, 
the, the IPA concluded that the cost to households of forcing Australia's six key coal-fired power stations out of business would be massive. Across the five regions of the national energy market, households would face average annual energy bill increases of between 95 and 125 per cent, with the average annual, annual bill in New South Wales rising to up to $2,600 a year. Our competitive advantage in once cheap energy is being frittered away by our politicians for no environmental benefit as China and India continue to develop coal-fired power at pace with no end in sight. The left of politics with the acquiescence of the Liberals have pushed for the closure and rundown of cheap and reliable coal-fired power stations. The Greens, the tail which wags the policy dog in Australian politics, is demanding no more gas exploration. Daniel Andrews uh, in Victoria agrees and won't allow onshore gas exploration. Renewable energy from windmills and solar panels cannot be stored, is expensive to transmit from remote areas and does not work when there's no sun or wind. Politicians like Energy Minister Chris Bowen are never asked by the media to explain these obvious flaws as he alights from his Tesla to spruik yet even more windmills and solar panels. Whatever you may think of Donald Trump, America was energy self-sufficient under his presidency. With policies that allowed the development of massive gas fields in Pennsylvania and the Keystone Pipeline from Canada. America has had energy America has the energy reserves of Saudi Arabia but climate catastrophism demands it remains untapped causing the poor to suffer ironically the switch from coal to gas under Trump meant US carbon dioxide emissions were coming down but because gas is a fossil fuel hated by the left of politics its use and exploration has been wound back Keystone was turned off like Chris Bowen Joe Biden is pursuing windmills and solar panels resulting in price hikes for consumers which smash the poor, many of whom are African Americans. Black lives should matter when it comes to heating homes and keeping the lights on. Australia under Scott Morrison's coalition and Anthony Albanese's Labor Green Teal coalition has committed to the globalist climate agenda of net zero emissions by 2050. Our rising costs of living is not rocket science and it's not the war in Ukraine as much as that war is unhelpful. It's basic economics. If supply of what works, coal and gas, is turned off and replaced with what does not work as well, windmills and solar panels, prices will be and are going up. If we keep going down this net zero path, we won't be far behind the US in utility bill defaults. Family First argues for energy policy that puts family budgets first while making realistic assessments of environmental needs. It's clear that the world does not face Greta Thunberg's imminent climate collapse and there is time to properly assess any transition that may be needed. A low emissions energy system should be pursued as the technology becomes available, not before. Proven technologies like nuclear should be on the table. You can bring balance and common sense back to the climate debate by joining Family First. If you sit on the sidelines, your utility bills will only get higher. Well, that's it for this week's Macquarie Street Political Podcast. Thanks to Dave and Aidan at the Good Source News for production and editing. I couldn't bring you this podcast without their help, and I really do appreciate it. So make sure you go to the Good Source website and check out all the great content that's there. Thanks to you for your company. Until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.